0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second episode of the Drug Buddy podcast. My name is Nicholas. I am your host. This is the podcast where we talk about all things drug and drug related to encourage the discussion of this needlessly taboo subject. Just want to do a quick recap. Uh, this is, again, our second episode. Uh, our first episode went live a few weeks ago, so there's been quite a large gap in the content that we have released but there's a reason for that and it's because I'm super OCD (laughs) and every attempt at a second episode I've just said, yeah, well, that's not good enough, or we should we should redo it, and we've ended up doing like six takes, which is ridiculous, and uh, we kind of came to, because it's not a big team here. For anyone who might be curious, it's not a lot of people really putting in <laughs> significant man hours here at the Drug Buddy Podcast, and I don't mean that as a diss towards any of us. There's There's, you know... If you you must know, there's three of us, and we all consider ourselves partners in this uh, endeavor. But we've decided that I'll be the one on the mic, at least for the time now. Um, Mainly because, for logistical reasons, we don't have (laughs) any other mics of this quality. So that that was a collective decision. But we all kind of thought collectively as well that the first episodes weren't great but uh, or excuse me the second episode drafts weren't great so it's not just me but we have decided now that whatever happens here we're just gonna release it because that's that's authenticity and that's kind of the point it's stupid to try to polish something or you know keep polishing something until you think it's perfect and then release it and then realize oh wow that's not authentic that's 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 not the first take, that's not even the second or third, that's like the seventh or eighth that you've basically been trying to modify in the image you have in your head. And that's just stupid, that's not what we set out to do here. We've gotten some great feedback from our first episode, and I think that's intimidating us uh, to make a second, at least I know it's, it is for me. It's hard to follow up on something like that, we just want, it. We just want people to be entertained and we want to, we want to help people. Somebody commented um, on Reddit about how they listened to the first episode and it, it was helping them. They're on their fourth day of getting clean and it was giving them the motivation to keep going. And that made me sob like a little girl because it was exactly what the intention was when we created this podcast or when this idea came about and I don't think I was really clear on that in the first episode, but that's that's what it was born from. That's what we want to do. And man, just to read that felt so good. And we we hope that we can continue to produce uh, content that helps people and people enjoy. It is October 6th, 2.23 p.m. It is like 85 degrees outside, which is uncharacteristically... Hot for this time of year. Um, this is the last push, the last fuck you of summer before the weather changes basically permanently <laughs> before we have six weeks of rain, sleet, maybe some snow. and I wanted to talk today. this might sound a little cliche, but I wanted to talk about gratitude. I received a, I received a DM on Instagram. A few days ago, from a friend. He, well, he's not really a friend. He was. He's an acquaintance, and I think he would. It'd be safe to say that I'm an acquaintance to him. But we've had mutual friends over the years. We met in rehab, right? We met in rehab years and years and years ago, and we knew each other for about six months. And we had a lot of the same friends. But there was one friend in particular that we both became very close with, and he considered him his best friend. And then later on a couple of years after we all had met first met i considered this uh, second person to be or third person to be my best friend so we were very close with this person and he he unfortunately he passed away due to um a drug overdose he was clean for he had been he had been kind of pseudo clean for a while he was drinking and smoking weed but he wasn't doing it his drug of choice was heroin I remember he was doing he told me we went to lunch we went to lunch like a week before he before he passed away and he was telling me that he was doing all these other things to keep himself from from relapsing on on heroin and the worst part about the whole situation was when we went to lunch he told me he said you know I'm having a really hard time I just feel like I want to relapse. I just feel like I don't know what I'm gonna do, and I was kind of dismiss. It, it it hurts to talk about because I, I I feel like I could have done more. I I could have done more. I could have said let's go, let's go to a meeting. You know, back then we were really into AA and NA. We we, we weren't really into it actually, but we were both familiar with it. I should say that, and um. I I could have said let's go. I could have I could have dragged him to one and that might have changed the outcome. I, I think of I think about this every once in a while. Um actually way more than I, I care to admit. But think about what I could have done at lunch that day that might have saved his life. And um there's definitely something I could have done. I just uh <clears throat> I I don't want to I don't want to blame myself uh i've had have i've i've worked through this and i don't want to regress and end up blaming myself for anything uh, um because even if i could have prevented it for a, a, a month or a year i mean to me that's that's a huge victory we would have had another year with them or another month with him or whatever but it inevitably would have caught up and i i it, because that's just that's the way addiction works that's the way this is real shit and the guy who messaged me, this acquaintance, he had just basically told me, he said, You know, I've been thinking a lot about you lately. I've been thinking a lot about this this other guy. And um and he rattled off a list of names of people that had had also died due to addiction. And one of them was this girl that we both knew and it was his girlfriend for a time and she was a she was a friend of mine when we were in rehab and then uh we, we grew apart because we lived in different places. And it was, you know, it was shocking to see her name there. I, I didn't know. I looked. I looked. Then I looked her up, and I saw her Facebook, and realized it's, you know, said remembering her, and all these comments and posts of people saying, you know, rest in peace. And it's just, I couldn't believe it. It's one of those things. that's so. It just seems so surreal. And when our friend of ours passed away, that was also surreal. Getting the phone call from his girlfriend at the time, her in tears, and just she could barely she could barely talk and she just said you know he blank passed away and I thought she was joking I thought I thought it was really morbid and fucked up joke because I couldn't I wasn't processing it in my in my head properly at least I was like well that's not funny but then I, I realized pretty much immediately I was like oh oh fuck this isn't this isn't a joke I asked her where she was, and she told me where she was, and I, I rushed over there immediately. And it was just, there was all of his friends, other friends there, and we were just, it, it was a horrible day. But that was the first time, and I think everybody who, every addict, or everybody who even, anyone, anyone who's even exposed to the world of addiction, because you don't have to be an addict to experience this, to experience loss. You know, addicts, we, we sometimes, I feel like we co-opt the idea of loss when people suffer or pass away from their addictions, and that's not true. It affects everybody. It affects their family. It affects their friends. It's it's not just us. It's not just the other people because we can say, well, we understood what they were going through. Just because somebody doesn't understand addiction or understand how somebody could become an addict or be an addict or pass away from an overdose doesn't mean that they don't experience they're not they're not allowed to experience their own emotions that's that's bullshit so i think as a whole we should stop doing that because that's just that's just really uncool but the his mother of, of our friend had made a post after he passed away on facebook and she was as much of a quote normie as one could be and she just said you know blank has he's moved on he's out of pain finally i remember she put that in she she wrote that that he's finally out of pain and all he wanted was just to be out of pain that's all he wanted and i related to that probably more than anything i've ever i've ever read he was in this sort of perpetual i hate to use the word spiritual spiritual torment I mean, let's just say psychological. He was just being he was psychologically tormented because he didn't know how to handle his emotions. See, the thing people don't think about is when people start using drugs. Let's say you start using heavy at let's just let's say eighteen, right? Well, you're not. You're first of all, your brain's not fully formed at eighteen. Everyone knows that. I think the I think the age is twenty three, and now they're saying it might even be a little bit or later than that. Your brain's not fully formed. You are the term "arrested development." That's what this means. You have arrested your psychological, your physiological development because you started using drugs, and it really doesn't matter what kind. That's the that's the bitch of it. You don't have to be using hardcore drugs um, in order to arrest your development, uh, but if you do, if you are at the heart of the drug, I, I think the the harder it arrests it does arrest it. And what I mean by that is I started using heavy when I was 16. I started using heroin when I was 16. And that's how I dealt with my emotions. That's how I dealt with loss. That's how I dealt with grief. It's how I dealt with pain. You know, anything negative I felt, I immediately ran to this substance. And it wasn't as prevalent in the beginning. I was a teenager. I couldn't get it as often. It really didn't spiral out of control until I turned 18, until I was working a real job, making real money. I had a dealer who, you know, I call him a big boy dealer, you know, a guy selling to multiple people who made his livelihood selling drugs. That's when, you know, a, a guy you can call at pretty much any time of the day and he'll he'll be there. He lived an hour away. This is when I was in Southern California. But he made a route every day where he would... and where I lived and so I kinda had it was kinda like a bus schedule actually. I kinda had to have money by a certain time of day and that sucked. But there were times I could call him I had to give him gas money. You know, he charged me this is so fucked up, guys. He charged me a hundred bucks a gram for heroin. We we got we get Black Tar in California. Um a hundred bucks a gram and he charged me forty for gas. (laughs) And he came, I mean, he was coming an hour away. So, I mean, you know, L.A. traffic, I get it. But he fucking, he just raped me when it came to prices. He took so much, he took such advantage of me. And he never did fronts and he never, didn't have a point system or anything like that. And uh, anyone who doesn't know, a front is just like a loan, basically. Like, hey, can you loan me some drugs because I don't have any money right now. It's a stupid concept because every time I, I needed a front, I never had a way to pay it back. You know, it's not like, I never had money coming in. I mean, there was a few times I did, but I would have spent it on more drugs. I would have found some. that's what's so fucked up. You know, I was the most unreliable customer. I was the kind of guy who needed to have money on hand, but I would try to find, like, other ways. Like, I'd be like, well, dude, are you into trades? You know, like, I got this Xbox here, I got this... You know, I could I could sell you this watch I found. You know all this stupid shit, and they're always like, "Dude, no, I just need, I just want cash." You know, and I was never buddy buddy with any of my dealers. You know, I know some guys. You meet a lot of people in rehab, especially when you go multiple times. People from all over the country, people who've various stages of their addiction, who live different kinds of all live different kinds of lives. And there were a lot of guys I knew who were friends, like good friends with their dealers. So. They basically never ran out. I mean, they could always go to them, no matter what, and be like, dude, can I just can you just give me a little shot? Or can you just give me, you know, like a five sack so I can just get well and they'd be like, Fuck, bro, like here you go. Or they'd be hanging out with them like every day, or they lived on their couch or something. You know what I mean? Like that I never had that relationship with a dealer. There was one time though. That I I kind of had a dynamic like that with the dealer, but it it didn't end well. The guy was trying to turn me into one of his soldiers, and it was pretty fucked up. And what I mean by that is he was trying to keep me hooked on, uh, heroin. He was giving me just I was staying on his couch at the time. I I just broken up with this girl, and I was staying I was living with her, and she had cheated on me. So I called him up, and he was like the only guy I could call. And I was like, dude, can you please come pick me up? My girl, I just found out that she's been fucking around. And he was like, dude, I'm right there. He comes, he gets me. He was like there in 15 minutes. It was, I was kind of surprised. Takes me to his house, which he was living with a girl with another girl. But she was on vacation in Mexico. So she was going to be gone for like, I don't know, a week or something. And he was like, okay, you can stay here if, until she gets back. And I was like, thank you so much. So I stood down on his couch. And uh, he knew I didn't have a job, I didn't have any money, or I had very little. And so um, I told him I was like, I didn't, I, I didn't even really, like, even ask. I just kind of woke up the next morning, and he said, "Hey, man, I got some dark, some heroin for you. I left it over on the nightstand. There was like this nightstand next to the couch, and I looked over, and there was like this tiny piece. And I was so, I was remember, I was like, thank you so much. And I smoked it, and you know, he was shooting up at the time, and I, I was. I was begging him to shoot me up, like I could, I knew how, but I didn't have any rigs, and I didn't want to waste it, so I wanted him to do it, but he refused. He just kept refusing. So, uh, he owned his this his own company where he did like manual labor. I don't want to get specific with anything because I know people on the internet can figure anything out, and I really don't want to expose anybody on here. This is all anonymous, and it should be. But he owned a company where he did manual labor. And he needed labor, he needed help, so I was I would help him, and I went to work with him every day. And uh, he had all these jobs lined up, and I was I was very professional and I was very helpful. And he would give me just enough dope to keep to get by, just enough so I didn't really get sick. I was never high, but I just didn't get sick. And because um, he always had a shit ton on him, and uh, that relationship, I ended up getting out of that. Uh, kind of by the skin of my teeth, I figured another situation out, another living situation with a friend, which was actually the friend who passed away. Um, I stayed with him. You know, because when you're using, when you're in the throes of addiction, you're hopping around so much. I mean, you just, you don't have a, you never have a permanent place. You're always trying to find some sort of permanence, but you never, you never, you can never quite grasp it, you know. You're always staying in hotels or Airbnbs or, people's couches or you you're getting evicted or you're 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 getting kicked out of your room. I mean it's just the it's awful, man. It's the it's just such a horrible shit way to live. And to anybody who whose story is different than that or you had like a more luxurious way of living or you were a better you were a more functioning addict or alcoholic um I'm glad because I wouldn't wish that way of living on anybody. It's a it's a fucking nightmare. It's an actual nightmare. Every day is a nightmare, and you're committed to it. You can't just back out. You can't just say, "All right, I'm done." I mean, you can and you can't. The way to do that, basically, to to declare bankruptcy and say, "Hey, I'm out. I'm I'm laying my my hand down. I fold." The way to do that is to basically say, "I give up. I want to go to treatment." or that's it. <laughs> it's like, t- it's time to go to rehab. And you have to have the means to do that. And I was always fortunate enough that I did. I could call up my, my parents and I could say, look, I'm done. I give up. Can you come get me? And they would, they'd come wherever I was and they'd pick me up and they'd, they'd sober me up. And they, they'd, you know, I would just, I remember one time, the first time that I asked for help, they weren't, and I don't blame them, but they weren't very um, they weren't very sensitive about it. Like, they came and got me. They picked me up. I, I walked out on a job. I, basically, what had happened is I had run out of money, of course, which means I had run out of dope. And I got sick. And I got sick at work. And this was in, early on in the, my using career. I was like 19 at the time. And I had never really gone through heroin withdrawal. I mean, I'd, I'd experienced it for a little bit, but I'd always been able to get well, like I'd always, and what I mean by that is I'd always been able to get drugs somehow, always been able to get heroin, but this time I just had no, I was out of, I was out of options, I couldn't borrow another buck from the bank, I couldn't, there were no more payday loans I could, I could take out, you know, I had no one else I could ask or borrow money from, payday was a week away, I was fucked, so um, I just tried to go to work, and power through it. And I remember... I... I got like halfway through the day... And I was meet, I was meeting with another guy... And we were supposed to do this inspection at this person's house... And I this was like 30 minutes away from where we lived... So I drove there in a company vehicle... Met the guy there... When he turned away and walked to go meet the homeowner... I got back in my vehicle... Drove back to the office because I was, I just knew I was done, left the vehicle in like a, an adjacent parking lot, threw the keys on the, on the, uh, on the seat, left the door unlocked with the, (laughs) left the door unlocked, didn't tell anybody, and just walked away, literally walked off the job, because I was so sick, and I could barely, I was in so much fucking pain, and I was, because again, withdrawal, when you're going through withdrawal, especially when it's like one of the first times you've ever experienced it. It is a terrifying experience. There's nothing quite like it. It feels like you're dying. You have no hope. You are panicking because you don't know when it's going to end. You, you, you do know it's not going to end anytime soon. There's no cure. There's nothing you can take except for heroin that's going to fix it. And realizing that is just it's terrifying and it's, it's, it sucks. It's awful. You, you going to, you know, you're going to have to go through it now. And so I called up my family. They came and picked me up. My grandmother picked me up on the side of the road and I hopped in the back seat. and she didn't even really know what was going on. I think I just texted her and said, I need to go to rehab. And, uh, and then she contacted my dad in the car. She drove me to his house, which was a condo um and I kind of I stumbled out of the car and I remember he came outside and he gave me a hug and and he's just said welcome home and so he, I shouldn't I was gonna say the beginning they weren't very kind about the situation but that's not true they were very they were very kind about it it's just right after that he led me inside and locked me in a room <laughs> and said okay you're not coming out f- for a few days and um and I didn't fight them on it. I didn't fight either of them on it. I just kind of accepted my fate. I laid in bed. I writhed around in agony for 72 hours. And, um, you know, it wasn't actually that long. It was It was probably more like 50, but, you know, two days of sweating and writhing in agony and, and being in, and just feeling like every minute you couldn't hang on you can't hang on another minute like it's just like you're gonna fucking you're gonna jump out of your skin you're so restless you, you you're just you're full of adrenaline you're just surged full of fucking adrenaline and it is the most panic inducing i can i can't think of anything worse uh, and then suddenly you start to feel a little bit better, and you're not as nauseous, and you're not as in pain, and you're not as achy, and it just, it's slow, you kind of, you hit the tip of the mountain, and you start to go down, and when you start coming, when you start going down, it is the, it's a great feeling, because you know, every minute from here on out, you're, it's going to be better, your brain is returning back, its normal and its natural brain chemistry, your body's returning to homeostasis, everything's going back to balance like it should be, nothing's out of whack anymore, I mean the dream for me when going through withdrawal was always just fucking sedate me, you know, put me out, put me out for two days, put me under anesthesia for two days, and there's these clinics in Beverly Hills where you can go in and pay them, (laughs) you know, $20,000 and they'll do that for you, They'll, they'll knock you out, they'll keep you sedated, they'll give you a bunch of adjunct drugs like benzos and sedatives and things to keep you calm and whatever, and they'll sedate you and they'll, they'll keep you under anesthesia, and they'll pump you full of uh, naloxone and um, try to flush your system out. But there are, are cases, there's, so there's so many cases of people waking up in the middle of it in full withdrawal and there's so many cases of people dying, and it's just a very, it's unproven treatment, and plus once you get through the the, the detox, let's say you get through the detox painlessly, well then what's to stop you from going back to heroin, <laughs> you know, there is no penalty there, I mean the penalty could have been the financial loss from going to that place, but just as much it could be like, oh well I just skimmed through that, now I'm going to go use it for one last time, because that's That's how every relapse starts. I'm going to just, I got to do it one more time. Just one more time. And there's, to me, it was always like, well, there's some logic there because like if I use one time, I'm not going to get addicted to it again. Or excuse me, be redependent on it. So I'm not going to have to go through the withdrawal again. So that's okay. Which is true. If you are cleaned from heroin for, let's say, a year, and then you relapse on heroin, one time, like you use it, you shoot up once, or you smoke it once, or you snort it once, or whatever, the next morning, you're not going to be physically dependent on it, you're not going to wake up and withdraw, that's true, you might have a little bit of, we kind of call it like a hangover, like a like a heroin hangover, I guess, but for the m- most part, you're going to be fine, you'd use two days in a row though, or you know, let's say, it's, hard, it's kind of, I've always said like if you use three days in a row, you're fucked. That's you're, 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 re, you're, you're dependent on the drug again your body will find a way to stop producing the hormones and the neurotransmitters that you need to keep you okay the locus ceruleus, which is a part of your brain that controls the inhibition of adrenaline that gets suppressed so then you get flooded with more adrenaline which is the cause of some of the most uncomfortable symptoms of heroin withdrawal everybody knows I shouldn't say everybody but people, mostly, most people know that withdrawal is just the complete opposite of everything that you experienced while you were on the drug. So every happy, joyful, euphoric feeling you felt while you were high on heroin, or let's say even meth or cocaine, the withdrawal is just the opposite of all that. So instead of euphoria, you're gonna feel dysphoric. Instead of you know uh, pain relief or analgesia, you're gonna feel just pain or it's actually it's called hyperalgesia which is an increased sensitivity to pain and it's just no fun man it's i mean when you break it down there's not much more you can say than it's it's not it's no fun it's it's a nightmare it's every horrible thing it's like being it's like being in the harry potter universe and being attacked by a dementor just every negative sensation, every horrible feeling at once is just being sucked out of you. Actually, I would say poured into you, I should say. Poured into you. That's the only difference is that the dementor's taking it from you, all that happiness. In this case, it's like it's being poured. It's coming to you. And the timeline of withdrawal or detox is so long. I mean, it's, it's really short, actually, <laughs> for the most part, unless you're on drugs like methadone or Suboxone. But for short-acting opioids like heroin or, or, or fentanyl or, or Oxy or whatever, the the withdrawal is actually a very short period of time. People say 72 hours. It's it's For me, it's less. It's more like 60. You know, that 12 hours actually kind of does make a difference, too, because 60 is not like the peak. Like, I'd say like the peak of pain is like hour 36 to 48 somewhere between there that's when you're going to be at the worst so you make it past that you're going to be okay being at the 24th hour you're in it like that's you're in the world of shit and I would always count like I'd always see where I was I'd be like all right I'm in I've it's been eight hours since my last hit it's been 15 hours since my last hit I would count down because that would help me and uh, once I got to like You know, past hour 60, I was usually okay. But there were very few times, in fact, I think I can count on one hand how many times I actually kicked cold turkey without any substitutes, without any other drugs involved, just straight. And I I want to say willpower, but it wasn't willpower. It was external forces that came together to put me in that situation, like my family. My dad, he locked me in a room. And I mean, I think the fear was that I was going to try to like break out. (laughs) But I didn't even, I was so weak. I was so, because you're exhausted. You're weak. You're exhausted. you're, You're vomiting. You're, I mean, you're shitting your brains out. It's every negative sensation. Like I said, all at once, you have no fight left. Your spirit's been broken. I might sound like I'm exaggerating a bit. And to some people who've experienced themselves, they might even be saying like, yeah, you know, that's a bit much, but not for me, man. There are some, I would do anything before I would go through fucking opioid withdrawal again. It's a dark, dark place. There's a trauma response involved with it. I don't care what anybody says, but it's traumatizing going through, because experiencing that level of discomfort and that level of pain and that level of despair and hopelessness that causes a trauma response. And I consider people who have gone through particularly violent withdrawals, like people who've gone through precipitated withdrawal, for instance, where they've taken, they've been dependent on like fentanyl and then they've taken suboxone too early and it precipitates their withdrawal. Those are, those are particularly nasty, violent withdrawals. People end up in the emergency room shaking, like, you know, shaking like this and Barely able to talk and begging the doctor to shoot them in the face. I mean, I've been through it once, uh precipitated withdrawal, and it's it's an immediate sensation of oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. Whew. <sighs> Just thinking about it. <laughs> Gives me goosebumps. Okay, guys, we are past the 30 minute mark by about two minutes here. Uh, I think we're gonna cut it this way, we're gonna cut it off now. Um I'm getting the thumbs up from the crew. Think we're good? Very happy to be able to do this podcast, guys. Very happy to give this second episode finally out. I want to apologize for the delay. I want to say thank you to anybody who is still listening. Thank you to our listeners. The goal for the first episode was to reach 100. We are at 123 as I speak this, as I say these words. 123 listeners, very happy about that. I know it might not sound like a lot, but to me, that's huge. That's, that's like getting... 50,000 to me, I mean, it's just, I'm so happy about it. I hope we continue to see more people tuning in. Please leave some feedback. Uh, you can always reach us at our email, which is drugbuddy, one word, period, podcast, at gmail.com. You can always reach us there. Shoot us an email anytime. We'll get back to you, no problem. And uh, I think that's it for me. So, I love you all. I, uh, I hope that if you're going through it right now, that you were able to take something from this that'll help you hang on a little bit longer. Don't give up. There's so much beauty to life, and there's so much... Because when you're using, you're not living. You can convince yourself that you are, but you're not. It's the opposite of living. It's, it's, it's a sanctioned suicide. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. It's, it's no way to live. You know, Come over to the other side. Veer from the dark side and come over to the light. It's so much better over here. And I think deep down, everybody knows it. It's just something they might not want to admit. Take care, everybody. And be well.